Glad to have you guys here. Um, again, if it's your first time, welcome. Glad to have you guys. Um, we are in the midst of a series called Frozen. It's actually our second week only, so we just kind of started this thing. Uh, and what we're doing is we're taking the movie Frozen. A few people have probably heard of it. Uh, I, it's never happened before. Last last week, you know, who it's, and it was only like three or four people who had not seen. I mean, that's crazy for a movie. Uh, that's just unbelievable. And so a lot of people have seen this. But we're taking this movie and we're taking the the parallels, that are, the themes and the characters in the movie Frozen and paralleling them to real life stuff. And not so much the Disney made up animation version. All right, uh, because we know that that's all real. All right, um, so we're going to take that and we're going to do this. And today, uh, what is really exciting is we have the opportunity to focus on what I would probably consider to be the most popular character in the movie. His name is Olaf. Right? Yes, I know. I just thought my kids are like they, they love it when Olaf shows up in the movie, right? Uh, because he is just he is just an awesome character. He's hilarious. Olaf is a fun-loving, uh, go with the flow, optimistic snowman. All right, that's that's one of the best ways you can describe him. He's also hilarious, but at the same time, Olaf is extremely positive, really funny, and yet he's also somewhat unrealistic in understanding the real world, uh, as you're going to tell by his signature song, which we get to watch right now. Enjoy. Oh, I don't know why, but I've always loved the idea of summer and sun and all things hot. Really? I'm guessing you don't have much experience with heat. Nope. But sometimes I like to close my eyes and imagine what it'd be like when summer does come. The buzz, kids will blow dandelion fuzz, and I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. I drink in my hand, my snow up against the burning sand, probably getting gorgeously tanned in summer. I'll finally see a summer breeze blow away a winter storm, and find out what happens to solid water when it gets warm. And I can't wait to see what my buddies all think of me. Just imagine how much cooler I'll be in summer. The cold are both so intense. Put them together, it just makes sense. Winter's a good time to stay in and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a... Happy snowman! When life gets rough, I like to hold on to my dream of relaxing in the summer sun, just letting off steam. Oh, the sky will be blue, and you guys will be there too. When I finally do what frozen things do in summer. I'm gonna tell him. Don't you dare. In summer. <laughs> so, like I said, really positive, although misses some truth in the world, right? I mean, Olaf is one of those guys. This is, he's just incredibly positive. These are some of the quotes that he says. Olaf in there, in, in, throughout the movie, he says, I like warm hugs. 
You know, he says that. And then he says, uh, what else does he say? He says, uh, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Some people are worth melting for. You know, this is one of the signature quotes that he says toward the end of the movie. And then after Kristoff is done explaining to Anna that she should not go see her sister because she's scary, he says, I bet she's the nicest, gentlest, warmest person ever. Right? He's just positive. He's optimistic. He sees the glass half full side of things. That's how Olaf is. He's, he's an optimist, eternal optimist. He sees all the good stuff. But the problem is, too, that the other side is he also sometimes misses the truth. He misses reality, doesn't he? So we have this good side, this amazing thing that really is great about Olaf. And we have this other side that we say, you're a snowman. Summer doesn't work for you. But he's optimistic. He's like, I would love summer. Summer would be awesome. And he just misses that point that he'd be a puddle of mud and water, right? And so he just doesn't see that. I mean, that, that, that's my favorite. One of my favorite lines in the movie is when he says, you know, winter's a good time to stay in a cuddle and put me in summer and I'll be a happy snowman. You know, it's like, that is awesome writing right there. So Olaf is just incredibly positive. And the question now becomes, though, because we're taking these and paralleling them with real life, what does God have to say about Olaf's view of life? What? what Would he agree with Olaf's view of life? And how does that work? This idea of really optimistic view, a positive view on life, but this kind of detached from truth and reality, right? And of course, we can, we can write this off a little bit with Disney. You know, that's just kind of what they do. They're like, let's make this really crazy. Right? And then it's a lot of fun and we enjoy watching it. So what does it have to say? In Philippians chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. So if you have your own Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, in this passage, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing a letter. And it's at the very end of his letter. And he's given all kinds of explanations to the Christ followers, the Christians in this city called Philippi. And, uh, and he's writing to the church there in Philippi that he planted a while ago. So when I, and when I say church, I don't mean a building, okay? And as Americans, we have destroyed the word church. We've messed it up completely, just so that we know, okay? I'm just helping us understand because I think of it this way. In fact, I'll tell my children we're going to church today. That's dumb. We don't go to church, okay? We do not go to church, Church, you know what church is? Church is not a building. It's not an address. It's not a location. It's not a thing that we do. It's not a Sunday morning service. It's not a uh, movie at the Dunn's house, although that's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Church, that is not church. You know what church is? Church is you and I. When we say the word church, it's just too bad because we don't think back then in the Bible, when they said church, they knew what it meant. It meant a group of people. The problem is that we've decided to build massive buildings, and so we call church a building. That is not right. And so Paul is writing, I'm just helping explain, because Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He's writing to a group of people in Philippi who believe in Jesus. Okay? That's simply what it is. So when we say the word church, think of it as a group of people, you and I. We are the church. Okay? So he's writing to a group of Christians Christ followers in Philippi. And he's writing to them and he gets to the end of the letter. And he's told them all these cool things about Jesus and about Christ and, and about how God loves them and all these different things in, the, in Philippians. And then at the end, he starts thanking them for something. In this passage that we're going to read, he starts saying thank you to them, commending them for something that they've been doing, for some care that they've given to him. 
So they thank him. But right in the midst of that passage, when he's saying, thank you for this and thank you for caring for me. And I know you couldn't before, but now you are. And he says, thank you for all these things. But right in the midst of that, then he kind of gives us some really important vision casting, (laughs) I would call it, of how we should operate in life. What our view in life should be. And it has some similarities to Olaf. It does have some parallels to Olaf and his character. So let's go ahead and take a look at this passage. Philippians 4, 10 through 14. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. This is what Paul is saying to the Christians in Philippi. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Making the assumption that they are helping him now. Not that I was ever in need. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. So Paul gets into this passage and he is talking about, he's saying thank you, but he tells us a couple of aspects. He shows us a couple of aspects of how we should operate if we are Christ followers. If we're not, then this this is not necessarily, this is written to a bunch of people who believe in Jesus, who believe that Christ should be everything to them. So he's saying if that is the case, then there should be a couple of possibilities, a couple of things that should be reality for you in your life. The first one is we need to, as Christians, as Christ followers, focus on hope. That needs to be one of our number one things. So the Olaf view of life is a very good one. We should be optimistic because of God. We should be having hope in our view. We should consider focusing on hope all the time in any situation. Not false hope but hope because of Christ, because of Christ's power and Christ's love in us. Focus on hope. But the question, though, becomes, uh, where does hope come from? Where does hope come from? Because I know a lot of people that hope in a lot of things. In fact, I would say that probably one of the number one things that I talk with people about or, or counsel with people about is a result of them hoping in something that didn't pan out. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. It could be a, you know, put in the blank. I've put my hope in a lot of things too sometimes, and and all of a sudden it didn't work out. And so our hope, where does our hope need to originate? Where does it need to come from? What needs to be the source? The source of our hope needs to come from Christ. The answer comes in verse 13. What does verse 13 say? This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. Because it's really positive. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I've quoted that one so many times because it is incredibly encouraging, uplifting, and powerful. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The key words in that verse, you know what the key words are? Right in the middle. Everything through Christ. Everything through Christ. Those are the key words. That is where our hope has to originate. That's where it needs to lie. Okay? Sometimes we put um, our hope in certain other things. 
But eventually those things will fail us. Christ will never fail us. Everything through Christ. That's where our hope needs to originate. So, for example, when Jesus was talking in the book of Matthew, he was quoted. And uh, this is actually part of a much larger story. This would be a whole series in and of itself. But in Matthew 17, 20, this is what Jesus himself says. He tells the disciples this. He says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, I've heard a lot of messages on that passage. I've heard a lot of people talk about that passage. Okay? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is really small, by the way, if you have just enough faith, then you can say to a mountain, move from here to there. And we get caught up in saying, whoa, I would like enough faith so that I can move Mount Everest. That would be awesome. You know? You know, kind of like the Jedi trick, you know, use the force. Look at that. I moved the mountain. Right. And we kind of get caught up in that would be awesome. I can move a mountain. But Jesus is not really saying, wow, yes, I want you to move a mountain. That would be great. You know, let's shift the earth around a little bit. Woo! Enough faith to do that. It's not really what he's talking about. He's saying, yes, that would be possible. But he's really saying in life. When situations come along, if you have faith in Christ, if you placed your hope in Him, if the hope originates from Him, then you can do anything. In other words, when a situation comes along, when somebody comes with you a major problem, when you're in a really bad season of life, what this says is you can still have joy. You can actually smile when that's going on because you can do everything through Christ who gives you strength. You won't necessarily be able to do that, but Christ can give you the ability, the strength to do that. That's a big difference. Okay? Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just make it happen is the American way. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about saying, no, let your bootstraps go and allow God. See where the hope is different? Hope in Christ alone. Strength through Him. And we can move mountains, which simply says... We can go through any situation and still have joy. We can still have hope. Because we know, you guys know, hope is a powerful thing, right? We don't usually realize it because we, in, in the United States, we generally have most things taken care of to some degree. Most basic needs. Not always, but a lot of the basic needs. But when you take hope away from somebody... Just think about it. If you take all hope, and I mean all hope, all hope is gone from a person. If you take hope out of a situation completely, remove it, there's no hope left. That's a really dark place, isn't it? I'll show you somebody that's really in the worst place ever. Somebody that's lost all hope. All hope, it's gone. Some of you probably experienced people that seem to have lost basically all hope. I know I've talked to some people at times who have lost all hope. It's a dark, very scary place, especially for them. Hope is a powerful thing, but we need to place it in the right place. And that is in Jesus, in Christ. So we have this one side, which is Paul is saying, no matter what, focus on hope, the optimistic view. But then the second aspect 
of Paul's message is there also needs to be some truth and some reality. We can't just say, yep, everything's going to be great. Yep, everything yesterday was horrible, but see me, I'm good. It's great. It's kind of what we do at church a lot of times, right? We put on the smile. We're like, we need to look the right way for church. How are you today? Life is terrible. <laughs> now, this is what we do. We know we do it. And we just, we just plastered on. And we're like, yeah, we're doing good. It's all right. Summer's busy, you know. And we're like, eh. You know? And maybe it is okay. Maybe things are good. That's great. But sometimes it's not. Where does our hope lie? Paul is saying, focus on hope. Yes, but there's also this truth side of life. What does he say? Go back to verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, learned, (laughs) it's something that we have to work at, learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And even so, you have done so well to share with me in my present difficulty. What is Paul saying with all of that? He's saying, life ain't a bunch of roses. That's what he's saying. My life is not a bunch of roses. In fact, right now, I'm in a really bad situation. You, by the way, you guys know that. He's saying this to the Philippian Christians. By the way, you know that. You're helping with that. Thank you. And he says, this is, this is a tough deal. Life is not a bunch of roses. And so we focus on hope, but coupled with that, parallel to that, we focus on hope, but we also need to recognize the truth. The truth. And what is the truth? The truth is this world is twisted by sin, isn't it? We know that. We know that. Sin has twisted our intentions. It has twisted People has twisted situations. Just look at any place where law and order has ceased to exist. You remember when the hurricane came through New Orleans and wiped everything out and there was no way for the, the, the enforcement to get in there? Do you remember what happened? It quickly degraded to everybody grabbed what they could. Stores were shattered. Things were taken. Everything was just, it was pure chaos. Why is that? Because sin. Sin's there. It's just a matter of it's waiting to just... Sin has twisted everything. And so we have hope because of Christ, yet we also have to recognize that sin is there. Why is it important to recognize have both of those views? Why is it so important to have the Olaf view of life? Woo, summer, it's going to be awesome. And yet realize you're going to melt if it's summer. So you need to take some precautions now. Why is it so important to have both of those sides? Because obviously you need to see your need of Christ. Right? We need to see our need of Christ. Did you know that one of the biggest barriers, if not maybe the biggest, I don't know, perhaps the biggest barrier is that people don't accept Christ. They don't want Christ because they don't feel like they need Christ. Isn't that right? I don't need Christ, therefore I don't want Christ. That's just a bunch of rules that I have to follow. And so we have to have hope, yes, the power and strength that comes through Christ, yet we have to focus on reality, the fact that there's sin, and we need a power other than ourselves. So 
What does that bring us to? Uh, how many of you have heard of Murphy's Law? Okay, Murphy's Law. Okay, yeah, a few of you. And and um and this is just this is just what Murphy's Law says. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> how many of you have heard that? Okay, maybe you didn't know it was called Murphy's Law. Um, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And then the opposite of that is true. And I didn't know this, but they just spelled Murphy's Law backwards. <laughs> it's really creative. And uh, they say everything that can work will work. Okay? So you have anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and you have everything that can work will work. The truth is, if you look at those statements, okay, anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and everything that can work will work. If you look at those two statements, isn't it true that both of those are basically true? I've given enough time, anything that can go wrong probably will go wrong. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, given enough time, yeah, we could... Let's do philosophy, and we could talk about the extreme and the absolutes of that phrase. Yeah, we could sit down for hours, okay? But just basically the thing is, if, if you give it enough time, anything that can go wrong, yeah, eventually it probably will go wrong. The other one is true, too. Everything that can work, given enough time, can we figure it out? Yeah, probably given enough time, things can work. My guess is, yeah, we can figure it out. So isn't it true that both of those are true? And so what does that mean? What does this mean if we look at those things? Well, focusing on Christ will help us balance those out because here's, the, here's maybe the biggest thing and maybe the hardest thing. I know this sometimes can be hard for me. Focusing on hope and our strength and putting it on Christ may or may not change whether or not something is going to work really well or in our mind or not. I've, I've had a lot of people that wanted to accept Christ because they wanted their life to be perfect. And, and that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear, to be honest. If you become a Christ follower, your life probably will get harder. We don't typically teach that in American churches, but that's the truth. That is the honest truth. Because you will be ridiculed, you'll be made fun of. Paul was thrown into prison. They tried to kill him several times. That's just the way it is. If we were going to be a Christ follower, life may not necessarily get easier. Now, can we deal with things better? And will we have a power in us that will help us deal with those things? Yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't mean that it's going to change what happens in our life. So Murphy's Law, or the opposite of Murphy's Law, still both of those may be true. You know what changes? How we see those things. (laughs) We see it through the eyes of Christ, and it changes how we view situations. It changes how we respond to situations. So it may not change that they happen. It might change how we see them. So we see these different things. There was an author named uh, James Branch who wrote this. This is a funny phrase. The optimist proclaims that we live in the best of all possible worlds, and the pessimist fears this is true. (laughs) I know, let that sink in a minute. It takes a minute, doesn't it? What? Oh, oh, yeah, that's funny, right? That's one of those that he just, he thinks at a different level, I think, than I do. Okay, yeah, this is, and this is, this is interesting. But if you really look at that statement, this is not so much like Murphy's Law and the opposite of it. This actually, if you look at this, this is neither, neither one of those is actually true. We are not in the best possible world right now. Not yet. 
Christ promises that there's something way better than this world right now. Eternity. He promises that it's going to be better. Then the pessimist fears this is true. This is the best world. No, and I just said, no, it's not the best of the world. We have much better yet to come. And so this really, neither view is actually quite right. So our view, depending on where we are, obviously is a difficult thing. So no matter where you are on this spectrum, and all of us, by the way, are on one side or the other more, right? Some of us are like, no, the glass is half full. No, it's not. It's half empty. Somebody took a drink, right? No, they didn't. Somebody poured water in. This is great. We all fall one side or the other a little bit more. But no matter what our view, Christ is the one that keeps us centered. Christ is the one that keeps us centered. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Again, this is for Christ followers. It's people who have given themselves to Jesus. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful and be thankful in all circumstances. In other words, focus on the side of hope because of Christ in you. But then there's that verse right in the middle. Be joyful, be thankful, And then there's verse 17, three words, never stop praying. Right? It's like, be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful. Right? And it's just squeezed in there, three words, never stop praying. Other versions say pray unceasingly, without stopping. What is it talking about? This is how this works. Okay? This is the optimistic view Balanced with the truth side. If you find yourself, you're currently in a season that you would consider to be bad or tough. This passage is really clear. If you're in that season, be joyful. Be thankful. (laughs) But keep praying. Because we all know that if we're in a tough season, it will change. It will change. But what we need to do is to remain joyful, remain thankful in that situation, and not just to be like, woo, it's going to get better. But we pray in the midst of never stop praying. Why? Because when that new season comes, if you're in a good season and that new season comes, it could be bad, it could be just not as good, whatever it is, then you've already prayed for Christ's power in you so that when you hit that season, you know what will happen? That season won't look so bad. In fact, it won't be as bad. And your response to it will be more positive, different. It's kind of what Paul was saying, wasn't it? I've learned to deal with nothing and everything. Full stomach, empty stomach. I've learned to deal with that. I've learned to be joyful in all situations. If you're in a a really... Uh, maybe you're in a tough season. You know, I kind of mentioned that before, but if you're in a tough season, same thing. Be joyful, be thankful, but keep praying. Keep praying. You know when the battle is done for these seasons of our life? When is the battle done? The battle is done when we're praying before the season ever gets there. A lot of people turn to God when, when stuff gets tough. 
We need to turn to God before anything happens. So that when we get to that tough season, the Christ power, the strength and the love that comes from God is already in us. That's a big deal. We need to be preemptive in our praying. If I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I have a much harder time praying and, and seeking God in the good times because I, I don't think about it as much. Honestly, I'm just telling you how I operate a little bit. I sometimes don't think about God as much during the good times. And so I'll just go and then things get kind of rough or something happens or my children get sick and I've been up all night, you know. You know how that next day goes after your kids are up all night? They're, it's great. The next day is awesome. No, it's not. It's terrible. You know? And so those days, you know what I'm usually doing? God, help me just have some more energy and help me to be more patient because I've lost it like four times. You know? and, and, and I pray more because it's just not as good. And I would like some help. But when things are good, I'm like, God, uh, thanks for the day. Awesome. All right, let's go. Right? It's just quick. It's just kind of, you know, I know you're there. Thanks. No matter what season you're in, be joyful. Be thankful. But never stop praying. Last thing. There's an American journalist named Sidney Harris who wrote, Happiness is a direction, not a place. I would insert joy. Happiness is actually depends on your circumstances, so I wouldn't use the word happiness. It's a great quote, so I had to use it. <laughs> I would put joy in there. Joy is a direction. Joy is simply the deeper level of happiness. It's a consistent thing that doesn't depend on the circumstances around you. Happiness kind of depends on what's going on. Joy is a direction, not a place. See, there's a lot of people that that they place their... Their hope in something. So uh, I've talked to a lot of people and, and their joy, they believe that joy or happiness is a place in life. It could be a house. It could be a certain job. It could be a certain person that you wanted to be with and it hasn't happened yet. It could be you know any kind of relationship. It could be there are certain things we plug it in and say that will give me joy. I will be satisfied if that could happen. If these things could happen, I will be good. Woo! That would be awesome. That's what I'm shooting for. And we consider joy to be a place, a destination, a thing. But that's really not the case. Joy is a direction. Where are we going? Where are we headed? What is our focus of our mind, of our emotions? Because in the midst of the journey is how Christ helps to shape and mold us, isn't it? We can't separate ourselves from our journey in life. What we do in life forms and shapes and molds us into who we are. Christ wants to be a part of that, a major part. So the very simple question today, if we're going to focus on hope, we're going to focus on truth. And we're seeking that joy that's consistent, no matter what's going on, that only comes from Christ. The question is, what is your direction? What is your direction?
Ask yourself honestly, what is my direction right now? Let's pray. Band's going to come up. Come on up. God, thank you for giving us truth that is sometimes hard to accept, but it's still truth nonetheless. I pray that you would help us to be optimistic in our view of life. Help us to focus on hope because of you. Help us to realize that this life is not all there is and that there is so much more to look forward to because of you. Because of you, Lord Jesus. But also help us to realize the truth, which is that we need you. Not only to get through this life, but to find eternity with you. So God, help us to answer the question honestly. What is our direction? What is my direction? Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Stand and let's worship God.